Amen. So, quick recap. Last week, we discussed the topic that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. Yes, die and go to heaven, that sort of thing can happen. But it's not just the only way to God is to go. He's coming here. Jesus is coming back. He's coming here, and we're not exactly sure when that's going to be, but we need to be ready for it. Uh, We talked a little bit about second coming fatigue last week, that you can hear about these sorts of things over and over, and people make predictions, and they buy billboards, and they do all that stuff, and and you think, okay, these are goofy people, and then it doesn't happen when they say it was going to happen, and then you get tired of it. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is coming back. Whether we're tired of hearing about it or not. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to understand the promise is that Jesus will return. And we covered three things you need to know about the second coming. Number one, Jesus will be in a different mood the second time. The first time, baby in a manger. Second time, king of kings with an iron scepter. Crushing the nations like pottery the Bible says. He came the first time to usher in the day of salvation, the opportunity for us to receive the mercy and grace of God. It is freely received right now in the day of salvation. When He comes back, the day of judgment will come with Him. And He'll be in a different mood. We talked about the cycles of God's blessings and God's wrath and how Uh, we need to realize that, yes, we're in a cycle of blessing right now. But that doesn't mean that's the whole picture. It's great. I'm happy. What a blessing and wonderful thing it is to live during the day of salvation. It's great. Let's take advantage of that. Second thing, we're not sure when this is going to happen, but we can know the season. We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we can kind of see the signs of the times. And man, oh man, are there a lot of signs of the times going on right now. Israel is a nation again. That's very important. The knowledge is increasing and all kinds of stuff is going on. There's just tremendous potential for the second coming to happen at any time. And then the third thing that we talked about is today is more important for you and me than that day will be. This day is more important. That rung in my mind all week this week. Today is more important than the day Jesus comes on the clouds. Today I have choices. Today I can serve God. On that day, it's, man, I tell you what, it's just going to happen. And we're going to be like in a river, just, you know, just we'll be following the flow. There's nothing we can do. Today we can choose. Today we can be creative. Today we can take steps. Today is the day that we will be judged by on that day. Today is the test day. That's just when the results come out. So today is more important than that day will be. So this morning, we are going to discuss two things and their relationship with each other. The rapture and the tribulation. Give me a show of hands if you know what the rapture is. I want to know, I had like very few no rapture people in the first one. All right, here's the deal with the rapture. The rapture is the idea that not everyone will die, 
but that the faithful believers who are still alive when Jesus comes back will be taken up to God. They won't die. They will be translated to the spirit world without having to die. So the rapture is the saints, the believers, the faithful will be raptured up and taken into heaven without having to go through death. Wouldn't that be nice? Skip the whole death thing, you know, when people are talking about that in heaven. Yeah, here's what happened to me. Be like, eh, wasn't there. Yeah, I floated up. And <laughs> be like, that would be really, really cool. So that's the idea of the rapture. The, the movies like Left Behind and things like that are based on this concept that the day will come when the faithful will just, they'll be taken and the others will be left. And it makes great movies. But movies and theology aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, and so we're just going to, I find it's very unhelpful to try to figure out what everybody thinks all around the Christian world and then correct everyone. I find that very unhelpful. Let's just read the Bible and see what it has to say. Right? That is so much easier. I, I am just not interested in learning all that stuff. So, let's look and see what Jesus had to say. In Matthew chapter 24, we're going to look at some rapture scriptures this morning before we get to the tribulation. Matthew 24, 36 through 41 says this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. We can also look at Luke chapter 17. Jesus is discussing the same topic, but he uses a little bit different uh, example. Luke 17, I tell you on that night two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. So the idea is that in groups of people, it's not that one city will be taken or one nation will be taken. It's that in your, in your group, even in the same bed, one will be taken and the other will be left. This moment will happen when Jesus returns and people are taken. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul, the Apostle Paul, deals with this a little bit more deeply. I like the letters to the Thessalonians because, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the, the types of New Testament scriptures, you got the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus, the explanation of, of who Jesus is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you've got the book of Acts, which is what happened after Jesus. You know, <laughs> Jesus floats up into the sky, and now what are we going to do? And that's the book of Acts. And then you've got a bunch of letters written to different groups of people from other people and, and different types of things like that. And the book of Thessalonians is, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are letters 
written from the Apostle Paul and his friends to the church in Thessalonica. And so uh, the neat thing about these letters is that the, the Thessalonians were advancing in the faith. They were doing well. If you've read the New Testament letters, most of the time, here's what it is. Paul is saying, guys, don't do this. And you should do this instead. Don't do that. You should do this instead. And so, I mean, you read the Corinthians. He's like, ah, oh, you know, your, your meetings do more harm than good. And he's just yelling at the Corinthians. You look at the Galatians. He's like, who has bewitched you? You know, how could you throw the gospel away so easily? You know, uh. And then when you read the Thessalonian letters, he's like, wow, you are doing awesome. I don't even need to teach you to love each other because God has taught you to do that. Do that more. He just encourages them. And so when you're reading the letters to the Thessalonians, there's some depth in there that you can't get in some of the other letters because they're just not getting anywhere. So here's what Paul says to the Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep means we don't want you to be ignorant about those who die. You know, Jesus promised that if people followed him, they wouldn't die. And they saw Jesus rise from the dead and they were expecting this whole thing to be over in their lifetime. They were expecting that they would not have to die that they would uh, be raptured up and taken care of. And yet, as they're going through life and years are passing, good, faithful believers in the church are dying. And they're starting to get discouraged. When is Jesus going to come back? When is this going to happen? We remember reading... Oh, one of the letters that Peter wrote and said, you know, Jesus, God isn't slow like you guys think he is. He's just merciful. He's wanting everybody to have a chance. They were like, come on, when is this going to happen? And they were expecting eternal life and to not die and they're dying. So they're getting discouraged. And so Paul writes to them and says, hey, don't, don't misunderstand this. When people die, I don't want you to grieve like how everybody else grieves. It doesn't say here, don't misinterpret this and think, don't grieve. It's don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You still grieve. If somebody has told you you don't get to grieve the loss of a loved one, uh, I'm sorry they told you that, that's a lie. You grieve. But if they were a believer, you grieve in hope. You grieve knowing this is not the end for them. This is not the end of the story for them. Yes, it's hard to live the rest of your life without them. Yes, it's difficult, especially if it's somebody who wasn't supposed to die at that time. Did you know there are people who die at the wrong time? If you get hit by a drunk driver, that's not when you were supposed to die. That's evil. That's bad. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not God's blessings in disguise. That is a bad thing. So when these difficult things happen, it can, it can shake your faith. 
and the Thessalonians were having their faith shaken. And so Paul wants to straighten this thing out and make sure they understand the whole story. So he continues here. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. So that even though if I die as a Christian, that's not the end for me. That there's there's eternal life in Christ, even though outwardly we see something very, very different. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the dead in Christ will rise first. How much first that is, isn't necessarily specifically stated. But if, if you die and then you go to be with Jesus, is that first? Absolutely. So it doesn't have to be several thousand years of just waiting there dead. If you, if you rise right away, you're still rising first. Um, have I told you that it's okay to not know everything? I'm going to tell you that several times. Because one of the things that gets Christians in trouble is we feel uncomfortable with the gaps in our understanding, so we fill them in. That doesn't help you. All that does is give you something you're going to have to unlearn later on. So get comfortable not knowing everything. The dead in Christ will rise first. Hallelujah. That's good. That's what it says. That's what we're going with. The dead in Christ will rise first. Let's go to the next slide. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So you know when Jesus comes back, He comes back on the clouds. And Paul is saying those who are alive when Jesus comes back, we're going to go up into the clouds and meet with Him. We're going to go have a big thing happen up there. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So, a couple of things I want to look at from this scripture right here. The first thing, can you imagine what that would be like? We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In the, in the like the left behind things, all of a sudden people are just gone. You know, I mean, there's there like piles of clothes and they're just gone. You know, um, this picture is more like you 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 leave like Jesus did. You know how Jesus he floated away and the, the apostles were like, there he goes. You know what? And then the angels came and talked to him and that sort of thing, Acts chapter 1. And uh, this is kind of how that is, it's described similar to this, like somehow up we go. Wouldn't that be something? What would that day be like? I mean, think that through for a little bit. Jesus comes back and all of a sudden you feel a little lighter. And, oh, you know, floating off 
into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That would be quite a day. Another thing that I find interesting in this, just me personally, he says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Does, this, does Paul sound like this is going to happen 2,000 years from now? Does, does it sound like he's saying, and, you know, millennia from now, after we're all dead and gone for a really, really long time. When did Paul think Jesus was coming back? I think he thought it was going to happen real quick. You know, Paul did not live to see that day. I remember reading the book of Acts for the first time and getting to the end of the book of Acts and it didn't say anything about what happened to Paul. He's in jail and the thing just ends. I'm like, you know, what's the deal? And I had made this little like pact with myself that I would only read the Bible for the first 10 years after I became a Christian. That I wouldn't read other books about the Bible or, you know, commentaries or people's perspectives of the Bible that I would just do, I'll do 10 years just the Bible. And I thought, well, you know, because I didn't have a Christian upbringing, I thought, well, I don't have to unlearn anything, so why would I want to put stuff in that I might have to unlearn? Might as well just not do that, and I'll just read the Bible. And so I got to the end of the book of Acts, and I'm like, what happened to Paul? And years go by, and I couldn't, didn't find out. And then just recently, I, the idea is he got beheaded in, uh, in Rome. And the, and the, the certain traditions say his head bounced three times, and there's three springs of water where his head bounced. I don't, is that true? I don't know if that's the case. That seems a little like, what? But, uh, but I guess they cut his head off in Rome. So that was a bummer. I thought maybe he got out of it or something, you know, because it didn't say. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, get a little bit more information on this deal. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here Paul is talking to the Corinthians, who of course were the ones that were really goofing up. You know, they weren't doing very well. They weren't like the Thessalonians who were doing awesome. The Corinthians were doing fairly poorly. Uh, they were, they were very spiritual, but they were kind of hyper spiritual. You know, like Paul had to tell them, guys, in your services, you need to relax. You need to not be so wild. You know, you're just, people are just doing all kinds of crazy things. You need to tone it down. And, uh, they were having immorality issues and they're just a wild bunch in Corinth. And even to that group, Paul gives information about end times things. And so here's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So what he's telling the the Corinthians is that not only will we be raptured up, but there will be a change that occurs with us. That we won't be the same. Do you know, this body, I'm glad to have it. You know what I mean? Are you glad to have your body? Are there things about it you wish were different? And if it's getting older, you're thinking, oh man, this thing isn't treating me good anymore. It used to be nice to me, but now it's not. We need a change. We need things to be different if we're going to last for eternity. This isn't going to do it. This is, this is part of the curse, the aging process, the, the deterioration. But we will be changed. If we're still alive when Jesus comes back, we'll be raptured up and we'll be, we'll be given what Paul describes as a spiritual body, which is kind of an oxymoron. I mean, it's a spiritual, physical, a spiritual body. And I don't know what that means, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really, really good. It's, it's comparable to the difference between an acorn and an oak tree. This is like a seed. This is like an acorn. And the oak tree is our destiny. That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. So, some will rise from the dead here in 1 Corinthians. Some will be changed. So we have Jesus saying that, hey, one is going to be taken, the other one left. Then we've got this meeting Jesus in the clouds and being changed. This is the rapture. This is the thing that happens. Um, Did you know that the rapture is not a new concept and that it actually occurred twice in the Old Testament? With individual people, not with the whole group, not with all believers. But it happened twice in the Old Testament with a dude named Enoch, and then also with the great prophet Elijah. So we're going to read uh, these accounts and get an idea of the history of this sort of thing. Enoch from Genesis chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And incidentally, if you are interested in the small group notes for the sermon series, they're on the table back there. Last week, I made copies of them and a bunch of stuff happened and they stayed in the copier. And so they, they, no one took them from the copier. But they've been going, six or seven have been going each week. So uh, they're on the table last week's and this week's. So sorry about that, them being in the copier. Because this is a whole bunch of scriptures. These are all listed on the small group notes if you want to grab those. Um, so Genesis 5. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Isn't that interesting? Enoch did not die. He lived 365 years and then God took him. We see this also described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So Enoch was raptured up. He didn't die. 
So there's history with this. Now, we've got Elijah. Elijah, the great prophet. So we've got Elijah, and then the dude, the understudy of Elijah was Elisha. And Elijah was doing all of his mighty works, and Elisha was there with him and helping him out and carrying stuff for him. And and then it came time for um, Elijah to be done and Elisha to take over. And here's the story of how that transpired. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Now let me ask you this question. If a religious person says, What can I do for you before I am taken from you? What do you think is going to happen to that person? You think they're going to die. I looked for in the scriptures, just because I didn't find it doesn't mean it isn't there, big book, but I got good concordances. I can type in phrases and all that stuff. When someone is taken by God in the Bible, it's this, it's not death. It's this thing. Enoch was taken. Elijah was taken. Other people died. If God takes you home, it's this. You know, death is our enemy. Death is not a blessing in disguise. Now we have to go through it. It's appointed unto man once to die. Unless Jesus comes back before you die, you will die. But it's not a good thing. <laughs> death is a bad thing. Death is an enemy of God. We are to conquer death you know, through Christ. I mean, you and me, we can't do it on our own, obviously. That's not going to work out for us. But Don't think of it as God's blessing in disguise. Death is bad. When you see someone die and you think, this is not right, it's because it isn't right. We were meant for eternity. We were meant to last. So here's what's going on. Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? And Elisha replies, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. So Elisha was like, you were awesome, man. You are awesome. Let me be twice as awesome. God used you powerfully and did amazing, amazing things. Let me be used twice as powerfully as you. That's a bold ask, isn't it? Elijah replied, you have asked a difficult thing. I'm sorry. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. (laughs) You'd stick close to him, wouldn't you? At that point, you'd be like, all right, man, I'm sticking by your side. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. Go back to verse 11. So here's what happens. They're walking. They're just walking along talking. And this heavenly vehicle shows up. 
chariot of fire with fiery horsemen. And there's a whirlwind with it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't know anybody like conspiracies. I think it's more of a personality thing. You know, if you like it or not, conspiracy things. But people take this and they're like, that's a UFO, man. (laughs) There's a fire is like the engines and it's making wind and the dude got into you. He got abducted by aliens, man. (laughs) But I tell you, something happened. Of course, I don't believe that God is an alien. But I do believe in extraterrestrial life. I do believe in the spirit world. I believe in God the Father, angels and demons, all the stuff. And so this heavenly vehicle shows up, this chariot of fire with fiery horses, and Elijah gets on and the thing (laughs) takes off in a whirlwind. And then go go back to verse 12, forward again. And Elisha is traumatized by the experience. Look at this. He cries out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. He's just amazed. This would not be a small thing, I'm guessing. This would be a, a very impressive deal. And in the Jewish culture, if something terrible happened, they would tear their clothes. If they were particularly repentant, they felt they did something terribly wrong, they would tear their clothes. It says here that Elisha took hold of his clothes and tore them apart. This wasn't just the ceremonial tearing of your clothes. He just ripped his stuff to shreds. He was like, what just happened here? God came down and grabbed Elijah and took him. Elijah did not die. Enoch did not die. The promise is that for the faithful, when Jesus returns, we will not die. I I mean, if it's a chariot of fire, that would be good with me. I'd probably be like Elisha and fall down on the ground and be like, what's going on? You know, I'd be scared. The floating thing would be scary too, but I probably could put on a better face. I'm not sure how it's all going to go. You know? But the promise is, for those who believe, for those who are faithful, for those who stand through the trials and the tests and the difficulties, for those who overcome, we can grab hold of Jesus and He will take us with Him. The exact process, I'm not really sure. I've, I've showed you guys this before. It's the grip the good grip, you know, from wrestling, thumbs in, thumbs in, not this, they're in like that, and kind of cup your fingers, and then you just hook them together like monkeys in a barrel, you know? You hook them together, and that's really a strong grip. Just grab Jesus around the ankles as hard as you possibly can, and then when the dust settles, you'll be in the right place. Because we're not going to understand absolutely everything. And so if we're planning to take a shortcut and meet Him there, That's not a good idea. Hang on as hard as you can. So we've got 
this promise that Jesus made that Paul kind of explains in better detail. We see it's an Old Testament thing that's happened before on more than one occasion. And so we've got the rapture, this idea that when Jesus returns, God's people will go to Him, not die, but be taken to heaven without death. That's, I would love to be alive on that day. That would be cool. You can see how people get excited about the second coming. They're just like, oh, I want to see that. I want to be a part of that. I want to feel, I want to feel this and go, good deal. <laughs> Let's talk about the tribulation. You like the tribulation? Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. So this is talking about the same stuff Jesus was talking about, the same stuff Paul was talking about, even though this is Old Testament. Same stuff. At that time, Michael, that is the, the archangel Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So here we have the the resurrection of the dead occurring. We've got this tribulation, which is the... uh, Yeah, you can take that down. This tribulation, which is... um, like the worst disaster ever in the history of the world before or after. It's just the worst thing that ever happens. The tribulation. So rapture is when God's people get caught up. Tribulation is like the worst disaster ever. Daniel predicts it. You know, this worst thing ever. Jesus also talks about it again in Matthew 24. We're going to go there and read a pretty big chunk. Um, Verses 15 through 25. When you're talking end time stuff, you've got to cover a lot of scriptures. You know, just because there's a whole bunch of this stuff out there. And uh, I don't like filling in all the gaps, so we're just going to read a bunch of scriptures and try to see what's there. Matthew 24, starting in 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, which is in other places in the book of Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you 
ahead of time. So, big global disaster. 10,000 people killed in the Philippines by a typhoon. There are 7 billion people on the planet. This will be a global disaster. There are lots of, uh, you know, you read through the book of Revelation, you get all these different things. A lot of times, like a third of the earth is destroyed. That would be, what's a third of seven? Like two billion-ish? Two and a half billion? That's a lot. Talks about the, the wine press of God's wrath. Do you remember the, the grapes of wrath? The wine press of God's wrath in the book of Revelation. It talks about an angel bringing a sickle out and just like harvesting the earth and putting the the grapes in the in the wine press of the wrath of God and it describes the like the wine that comes out the blood that comes out it says as deep as a horse's bridle goes on for 180 miles do i know exactly what that means doesn't sound good <laughs> sounds like something to avoid So we've got the rapture, we've got the tribulation. Now the thing that people like to wrangle about is the timing. Okay, so we got, it's all going to go bad. The tribulation is going to happen. And we're all going to float away. The true believers, the ones who persevere are going to float away. Do we, do just wondering, do we float away first? (laughs) Or is it like really, really bad and then we float away? You know, people want to know. Which would you prefer? First, float away first. Is it up to us? Oh. I'll just, I'm going to spoiler alert, you know, whatever. I don't know which one it is. I'm not sure that we do know. But one thing I do know is you better be prepared for whatever comes. Amen? You better be prepared for whatever comes. Let's give you a scripture that looks like we're out of here. Revelation 3.10 Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So here, Jesus appearing to John in the Revelation says to one of the churches, hey, you guys have been faithful. There's going to be this terrible thing that happens to the whole world. I'm, I'm going to set you free from it. Pre-trib, right? This is, this is we float away before. That sounds good. That's a pre-trib uh, verse. How about a post-trib verse? Let's look at some of this we read already, but just to tie it in. Matthew 24, 22 and 23. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. If we're floated away, why would the days need to be cut short? 
right? Well, what's the deal with that? And he says also, at that time, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. He's like, I'm not coming back then. That's going to be a mess. Skip forward a little bit farther down in that chapter, 29 through 31. Immediately after the distress of those days, that is, and this again is Jesus speaking, saying, immediately after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Immediately after. I would prefer just before. Um, you can go ahead and take that down. <clears throat> One of the things that concerns me about Christians in the United States is that we don't like difficulty. Do you... <laughs> Let's say we are spared the great tribulation. We all know we're not spared tribulation. We all have hardships to go through. And God expects us to go through them and to not have our faith shaken. To not be brought to a place of, what's going on? Last verse, Revelation chapter 2 Verses 10 and 11, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. How faithful does Jesus expect us to be? when we're facing persecution, when we're facing trials, when we're facing difficulties, like, well, just hang on, even to the point of death. How much farther can you hang on? What are things that make people let go? I didn't like the music. You will suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death. Oh, I'm not really being fed. Be faithful to the point of death. Uh, So-and-so goes to that church and I don't really like them. I think I'll disconnect. Be faithful to the point of death. How much difficulty do we have to suffer before we let go? Our God calls us to hang on whatever we're going through, even to the point of death. We're going to close. I want to invite the prayer team forward.
You know, I believe our God is a God of blessing. Amen? I believe our God is a God of love. I believe our God is a God of mercy. I believe our God is a God of grace. But let's not be naive. There will be tests we will have to pass. Let's not be naive. There will be tests that we have to pass. I'm not in control of when the rapture happens versus the tribulation. I can't do anything about that. What I can do is be ready for whatever comes my way. I can prepare my heart to stand in faith no matter what. And you know, that is the safest place to be. If the enemy knows that I'm not going to be shaken, he moves on to some greener pastures. But if he knows that I can be shaken, he's going to shake. You're better off being steadfast and ready to go. I'm going to say, I got a mean thing written in my notes. You know, sometimes I write notes down and I think, oh, that's not very nice. Here's the... Our theology cannot be based on cowardice. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to live a holy life before God. I don't want to suffer persecution and difficulty. I'm going to change my theology. We may have to walk into some difficult things. If we truly believe, truly have faith, we can get victory through the midst of that because there is no sting of death for those who believe. I'm going to close as we pray. I want you to think, what would cause me to falter? What would cause me to fall away from God? What would, what would discourage me in my faith? And if things like global disaster will pull you away from God, I would encourage you to strengthen your heart. Recommit your life to Christ knowing, yes, our God is a God of blessing. But right now there's a war going on and we may have to go to battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you, Jesus, for what you went through for me. That you didn't run away from what you had to face. We know, Lord, that you, you prayed that you wouldn't have to go to the cross but you submitted to the Father and you did it. It's not like we want to go through hard things, but we submit to you. Keep us strong. Keep us in faith. Keep us as we continue with you even when we face trials and difficulties. Give us strength, Lord. I pray a blessing over each one in this place. 
May your strength be with us. May you give us resolve to follow you, whatever the situations are that we're dealing with. Lord, if we're dealing with financial problems or relationship issues or a faith crisis or a physical problem, whatever it is, Lord, help us to trust you and have faith in you for whatever it takes. So bless us and give us strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.